0: We are going to dive right in and get started because we have a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of Bible verses we're going to look up tonight. And uh, the best way that you can follow along would be in your GFCC app. If you have a phone that you've gotten the app already, uh, I encourage you to pull out your phone and go to the app. If you haven't gotten the app yet, you can go to your app store and search for GFCC in the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store, and then you can download the app yourself. Uh, we're going to be kind of all over the Old Testament just to let you know what we're doing. Uh, We're starting a brand new series tonight called Flip the Script. And this series, Flip the Script, is all about trading negative emotions for God's truth. And let's face it, we are emotional beings, are we not? We, We have emotions and we get emotional. I know I do. I can get real emotional time and time again. But even in the midst of my emotions... Uh, Some of those emotions are positive and some of those emotions are negative. And so I know that when I'm faced with negative emotions, when I'm filled with negative emotions, I need something to, to change those. I need to flip that script away from negative emotions To the truth of God's Word. And so tonight we're going to start this series. It's a six week series called Flip the Script. And uh, we're going to begin by talking about lust and love, the negative emotion of lust and trading it for unconditional love that we read about in God's Word. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at lots of different passages of Scripture, two main stories from the Old Testament. Here in 2021, we are spending the entire year in the Old Testament uh, and uh, kind of seeing how the Old Testament points to Jesus, how the Old Testament teaches us how to have a better relationship with God, uh, and how uh, we can apply God's word to our lives. Because I believe that the Bible, from the in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 to the last amen of Revelation 22, that every word in between is inspired by God, uh, that men and women were, were inspired to write down uh, what God said. And so we read about God's word in the Bible. And uh, we want to uh, use the entire Bible that is available at our disposal uh, to have a better relationship with God. And so we spent, we are spending the entire year here in 2021 in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that we're not looking at the New Testament because we will go to the New Testament as well. And we're going to do that tonight because we're going to see some Jesus some of Jesus's teachings about love and lust as well. So uh, if you like I said, if you haven't had a chance yet, pull out your phone, turn to the GFCC app and, and use the sermon notes. We're going to begin with a story, uh, one of the, one of the more, more famous stories of scripture about King David, uh, and a lust problem that he had. Now King David was probably, uh, Israel's greatest earthly King. Uh, he rose to power. He was anointed by Samuel, uh, and he became the King over Israel at a very young age, but David had a problem. And, uh, we read about that problem in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1-5. through And this is what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Hold on one second. Now David was supposed to be at war. Think about a king. What does a king do? A king leads his men into battle, right? So David, it's time for, it's the time of the year. Winter's over. It's time to go to war, time to go conquer some land. And David is supposed to be out there leading the men into battle. And David said, you guys go on without me. I'm going to hang out here at the palace for a while, see what happens. Let's see what happens. Verse, verse two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Do you think this is the first time David ever saw this beautiful woman? I don't. I think David has hatched a plot in his mind plenty of times before. The man said, she is Bathsheba. The daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now hold on one second. Who are Eliam and Uriah the Hittite? Well, Eliam and Uriah the Hittite were two of David's mighty men. David had a group of men. They were called David's mighty men. And this group of men were his best warriors. So David's best warriors. Eliam is Bathsheba's father. Uriah the Hittite is Bathsheba's husband. So David's like, who's the bathing beauty? Bathsheba, daughter of Eliamon, wife of uh, Uriah. Verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, 'Uh uh-oh, I am pregnant. David has a problem. He's got a couple of them, actually. He has a lust problem, first of all. He sees her, and he wants her, and, he, and he's the king. So he just goes and gets her. Sends somebody, bring her to me. And then finds out he has sinned. He's lusted. He has sinned. He's committed adultery. And not only that, but now she's pregnant. And so he's got to figure out some way to get out of this dilemma that he's in. Get out of this jam. So what does he do? Let me tell you what he ha- what he does. He sends for Uriah. Uriah's away at battle. He's he's a good man. He's out fighting the battle, and so he sends for Uriah. He Says, "Uriah, come on home. You're you're all worked up, man. You're you're fighting the battle. You're working so hard out there. You you need to come back home, you know." And he's hoping that he's gonna you know spend the night with his wife and everything's gonna be fine. She, the pregnancy, nobody will ever know that it's David's David's kid, and you know everything will be great. Uriah comes home. And he spends the night on the front porch. He's like, how can I spend the night with my wife when my brothers are away at war? He's such an honorable man that that he won't even uh, spend the night with his wife while he's worried about his fellow Israelites off at war. David is frustrated. He's flustered. He says, you know what I'm going to do? Fine. All right. He draws up orders for the commander of the army. It says, I want you to take Uriah and put him at the front of the battle where the fighting is fiercest. And then, when the enemy march comes in, I want you to withdraw and make sure Uriah dies. David wraps it up, seals it, gives it to Uriah to take to the commander of the army. Uriah doesn't even know it, but he is carrying his own death sentence to the front of the army. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed in battle. David's like, no problem. I got away with it. Scott free. Everything's great. I just bring Bathsheba home to be my wife. Everything's fine. It's not like David didn't have any wives. David had five wives. Bathsheba was number six. He had a lust problem. So, baby's born. Baby's sick. Really sick. Baby's dying. <laughs> Nathan is the prophet of God. Comes to visit David. Says, David, I want to tell you a little story. I me tell you a little story about a man who had a lamb. It tells him this story about how a, a, a more powerful man came and stole the lamb and, uh, from the other man. And um, David was furious. He was just incensed that this, this person had stolen another one's only lamb. This man had thousands of sheep and he stole the little lamb from this other man and uh nathan says well what do you think should happen to man david says the man should die nathan looks at him and goes you the man didn't mean it like that though you're the man you stole the lamb you god knows everything you did david simply said i have sinned nathan said the lord has taken away your guilt He's taken away your shame. He's taken away your sin. In other words, you are forgiven for what you did. The baby will die, and the baby died. And you will face the consequences of your sin, David. And sure enough, his life was never the same. His kingdom was taken from him. The kingdom was torn in two. His kids committed despicable acts. David's life fell apart. Why? Because he had a lust problem. He broke a commandment. Pretty serious one. It's one of the 10. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14 says this, you shall not commit adultery. David not only committed adultery, uh, commandment number seven, he also committed murder, which is commandment number six. Two for one. It's a special going on in Jerusalem that night. But uh, so David commits adultery and he commits murder. And yet here's the thing that that impresses me about God and God's love and grace and forgiveness. Uh, In scripture, David is called by God, a man after my own heart. God called David a man after his own heart. I preached a sermon on this story once called a murderer after God's own heart. (laughs) Because that's what David was. He was an adulterer and a murderer. And yet God knew exactly what David was going to do someday. And yet he still said, this is a man after my own heart. See, God is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And when we mess up time and time and time again, He still pours out love, grace, and forgiveness on us, though we don't deserve it. And we really don't. We really don't. Jesus in the New Testament talks a little bit about adultery. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, and this is what he says. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What does he mean? Why such extreme language? Why would David, uh, why would God, Jesus use such extreme language to describe lust and adultery? Because it's a path that is hard to retreat from. Lust leads to adultery. Adultery leads uh, lust leads to sin, the sin of adultery. Jesus says, "Don't just it's not just about not committing adultery. It's about taking five steps back, saying, don't even lust. And I know he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, he's referring to men. And men do have lust issues. But you know what? Women have lust issues too. 33% of women use the internet for pornography. 33%. So it's not just men. We all have a capability. A, 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 A capability of lusting. We're visual creatures. We like to look. And lust leads to sin. The sin of adultery. On the flip side, there is love. Unconditional love. I don't want this to be all negative. (laughs) There's a beautiful story from the book of Genesis. About a man named Jacob. And Jacob was in love. In Genesis chapter 29, we read the story about how Jacob went to work for his relative, his uncle Laban. So he goes to work for Laban. Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Leah wasn't as pretty as Rachel. Jacob was smitten by Rachel. He loved Rachel. So he goes to work for Laban. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 29, verses 14 through 20 is what it says. After Jacob has stayed with him, Laban, a whole month... Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aw, say it with me. Aw, isn't that sweet? He worked seven years, but it only seemed like a few days. Could you imagine? Like being so in love with someone that like seven, 15, 27 years only seems like a couple of days. Aw, oh that's so sweet. Well, Jacob does his seven years. Time comes for the big celebration. And uh, sure enough, um, he goes, uh, they get married, and he goes to bed, wakes up the next morning. It's not Rachel. Laban had tricked Jacob, which is funny because Jacob was kind of a trickster himself. He tricked his brother, his older brother, out of his firstborn's uh, birthright. Look at verses 26 and 27. Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter a marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So Jacob gets tricked. And he goes and works another seven years because he had such love for Rachel. Fourteen years he worked to have her as his wife. That's love. That's like real love. And it only seemed like a few days. How beautiful. You know, we're called to love one another. In our relationships, in our, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships, we're, we're called to love one another. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 25 through 28, Paul tells husbands to love their wives. This is what he says. That like you will sacrifice anything for your wife, men. Husbands, sacrifice anything for your wives. Sacrifice. Unconditional love. It's not a this for that kind of love. It's not a, well, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. If you will do this for me, then I will love you. It is sacrificial and unconditional love that a husband is to have for his wife. Just the same kind of love that Jesus had for the church. Jesus loved the church so much that he what? He died for the church. He died for your sins. He died for mine. He died for us because he loves us that much. That's the kind of love that I must be willing to lay down my life for my wife. Sacrifice for her. Love her unconditionally. And that's hard. You know why? Because we're sinners. And like sin makes us selfish. Our sinful nature makes us selfish. I want what I want. And I want it right now. Anybody tracking with me? Does that sound familiar? A little bit maybe? I want what I want and I want it right now. I don't care about anything or anybody else. I want what I want. Paul says if you want to love your wife like Christ loved the church, you got to sacrifice for her and you got to love her unconditionally. And that's hard. Wives are told to love their husbands too. In Titus chapter 2, Paul is giving instructions to his young preacher friend, Titus, and he tells him to tell the women to do this. He says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. So just as husbands are to love their wives, women are to love their husbands. And so Paul tells Titus, tell the women to uh, urge the younger women To love their husbands. Let's face it. Husbands, well, we're kind of dumb. We are. We're kind of stupid sometimes. And sometimes it's kind of hard to love us. right, Ladies, amen? Oh, well, thank you. That wasn't too many. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) I don't want to say it out loud, but I'm thinking it. (laughs) But what does love look like? I mean, what does love really look like? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. This is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love never what? Love never fails. You want a true test of your love? Put your name in the name of love. Okay, here, let's, let's look at what true love really looks like. True love looks like Jesus. Because you could take the, the word love out of this passage and put the name Jesus in there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Oh yeah, that sounds like Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. So on and so on and so on. Jesus never fails. Now if you were to take your name and, and replace the word love with your name, how would that sound? Sean is patient. Stop right there. Because I'm telling you right now, Sean is not patient. We don't even have to go to anywhere else. All right? Sean never fails? No, Sean always fails. True love looks like Jesus. That's what true love looks like. And so if you ever want to know how you're doing when it comes to loving other people and loving God, go back to that 1 Corinthians 13 passage. Just put your name in a few of those characteristics and go, man, Sean is pretty self seeking. Sean is definitely not patient. Sean is sometimes kind, but eh, that really depends on the day. You know, put your name in there and then, okay, I got to work on patience. I got to work on patience. I got to work on kindness. I got to work on not dishonoring others. Put your name there and you'll become a more loving person. Now, there are two takeaways I want to share with you uh, in light of this message in this, as we flip the script. Uh, the first is this. Uncontrolled lust leads to sin and shame. Jesus makes it very clear. Uncontrolled lust leads to sin and shame. And we see that in the, in the, math, in the Matthew passage where Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, if you look at someone else lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Because when you look at someone lustfully, you start plotting and planning of how you're going to get away with it. So uncontrolled lust leads to sin and shame. And shame is, oh, shame is the worst, isn't it? When, when you've done something wrong, when you know that you have sinned and, and the, the guilt and the shame that weighs on you and it just, it's overbearing and it, it's It's terrible. I think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, God said, God gave them one command. Don't eat from this tree. Like, if God gave you one command, just one thing not to do, do you think you could do that? Just just one thing? No, you probably couldn't. I couldn't either. I'd be like, tree? What tree? That tree? Ooh, that tree looks good. Anybody around? Get a bite of that tree. You know, he told them, don't eat from the tree. And they ate from the tree. And what does it say? It says they were hiding from God because they were naked and ashamed. They they felt shame for the first time. They felt shame because of their sin. And sin does the same thing to us. It makes us ashamed. It makes us feel guilty because we are guilty. And so what do we do with that shame? We take it to Jesus. David thought he got away with it. But when he was confronted with his sin, he was ashamed. And he says, I have sinned. If you read Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is David's response after he was confronted with his sin. And you can feel that you can just hear the shame in his writing as he realizes just how much pain and hurt he caused. So the sin and the shame go hand in hand. But Jesus came to take away your shame. He came to forgive your sins. If you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, repenting from your sinful ways, turning to God for forgiveness, acknowledging your faith by confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord and getting baptized, God's going to wash away all your sin. He's going to take away all your shame. He's going to replace it with his love and his grace and his acceptance. Like he's not going to reject you. If you come to Jesus for salvation, he's not going to push you away. He's not going to say, oh, no, Sean, you are way too far gone. I I could never do anything with you. You are too messed up, Sean. I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus would never push you away, and he'll never reject you. And you can come to him time and time and time again. You know, I've had people ask me, like, what... uh, you know is is there is there ever a time when i'm not going to get forgiven is there any time i've ever sinned too much when i sin over and over and over again same things over and over again i keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over again and is god just going to like spit me out and just say ah, i've had enough of you i've washed my hands of you i don't think so when jesus was asked how many times that Peter asked him, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? Peter thought he was being noble. Peter's like, seven times? I I could forgive him up to seven times. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, you shouldn't even keep track of how many times you forgive somebody for hurting you. You shouldn't even keep track of it. You just forgive And I don't think Jesus would ask us to do something that God himself wouldn't be willing to do. And so when we go to God time and time again and say, Lord, I did it again. I messed up again. I sinned again. And I keep sinning over and over again. And I don't want to... The Apostle Paul says, I don't understand why I do what I do. I don't know why I'm doing these things. It's the sin in me that keeps doing them, and I hate it. I hate my sin. I hate everything that's in me, and I I don't understand why I keep doing these things over and over and over again. But God is good, and God is faithful to forgive time and time and time again. You cannot exhaust his grace. Because you are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he will never exhaust the depths of his grace because he loves you that much. Just as uncontrolled lust leads to sin and shame, uncontrolled love leads to freedom. Unconditional love leads to freedom. God has unconditional love for you every single one of us every single one of us he loves us unconditionally it's not about how good we can be it's not about how you know perfect we can be he loves us in spite of our imperfections he loves us when we mess up as much as he loves us when we're praising him i've said that before God loves me as much when I am preaching the best sermon I've ever preached in my life as when I'm committing the the stupidest sin I've ever committed in my life. He loves me the same either way. That's the love of God. And it leads to freedom. Freedom. And there are three ways that we have freedom. One, we have freedom from consequences. Like if I will love people unconditionally, if I love my wife unconditionally, if I love other people unconditionally, I'm not going to have to face the consequences of my sin. Because if I love somebody, I'm not going to sin against them. I'm not going to sin against them. I don't have to worry about the consequences of sin if I don't sin. Secondly, I have freedom from guilt. Guilt. If I'm not if I love somebody and I don't sin against them, I don't have to feel guilty because of my sin. I get freedom from guilt. And finally I get freedom from fear. I don't have to be afraid. We sang the song earlier. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in the love of God. I have nothing to fear when I'm with the Lord. When I'm loving someone unconditionally, when I'm loving God unconditionally, when I'm loving unconditionally, I have nothing to be afraid of. God's word says that perfect love drives out fear. So if you are standing in the love of God, if you are sharing the love of God, you have nothing to be afraid of. That's the freedom that unconditional love brings. And so I want to encourage you tonight to flip the script. To move from uncontrolled lust to unconditional love. Replace lust with love. And, And do everything in your power and in the strength that God gives through His Holy Spirit to learn to love one another, to love your one another, whether it's your kids, your spouse, your parents, your coworkers, your neighbors, your pastor. I need love too. Let's learn to love one another and learn to love each other unconditionally. And we will flip the script.